Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Catch Up on Kids Mental Health. I'm Janet Morrison. We hear the term mental health a lot. It isn't good for my mental health. Mental health is so important. Or I need a mental health day. But people never say what exactly it is they're talking about. So I thought if mental health is our objective, is what we're striving for, we should have some idea about what it is. Is it the absence of mental illness? Is it the absence of stress? Is mental health the same as happiness? Let's dig in. Mental health lies on a continuum and there are component parts which can be specified. It's not possible to measure mental health like physical health, where there are numbers such as temperature, heart rate, or body mass index. But there are skills and capacities that are strongly associated with good mental health. In general, mental health is the ability to function effectively in the world, enjoy positive relationships, adapt to change, and have sufficient resources to withstand stressful events. Often mental health is described as the ability to work, or in the case of children, to learn, to play, and to love. It's important to note that people can suffer from mental illness during periods of their life and enjoy mental health during other times. People can and do recover from mental illness, and people struggling with mental illness can and do lead meaningful and productive lives. I have identified nine abilities which promote and are integral to mental health, and they are the same for children as for adults, but obviously not as well developed in children. You don't need all of these abilities or all of them to the same degree, but the more you have, the healthier you are, the better able to adapt. Many of these abilities are influenced by genes and most are developed in infancy and early childhood, but many can be developed later through positive relationship experiences. Number one, just about any study on mental health concludes that people who rate their relationships as supportive and pleasurable seem to be healthier and more satisfied with their lives than people who rate their relationships as unsupportive or superficial. We are social creatures and to feel connected, valued and safe, we need other people. We don't need a lot of friends or a life partner, but it does seem to be very important that we have someone to confide in, to share our worries and the things that matter to us and to have someone to help us when we need help. Sometimes the close relationship can be a community rather than a person, like a religious order or commune. And there is increasing evidence that pets, especially dogs, provide enormous companionship and pleasure to people, and also therapeutic benefits for people with physical or mental health challenges. Children don't just need relationships for pleasure, they need them for their survival. Children come into the world primed to attach to caregivers because they have to be fed and they have to be nurtured. Infants who are securely attached to their caregivers, which means they're confident that they will be fed and looked after, are generally calmer, happier, and more curious than children who are insecurely attached or not as confident that their needs will be met. Number two, a wide range of feelings. People with good mental health tend to have more positive emotions than people who struggle with their mental health. But being healthy 
doesn't mean being calm, quiet, and serene all the time. Healthy means feeling and reacting in ways which are appropriate to the circumstances, which feel right, and which don't lead us to damage ourselves or others. It's good to protest when someone hurts us. It's not good to punch them or threaten suicide. It is definitely not healthy to express the same emotion all the time, whether it's anger, sadness, or even cheerfulness. The effort to be cheerful all the time is exhausting and can contribute to depression. The effort to be calm when you're not can lead to a number of stress-related illnesses. Being constantly cranky or fretful is debilitating and a real turnoff for other people. A wide range of emotions is healthy and invigorating and very appealing to others. The ability to tolerate negative emotions such as anger and sadness and to recover from them is referred to as emotion regulation and it's a big determinant of mental health. Children who are happy and healthy experience lots of frustration and anger and sadness, but they generally recover pretty quickly and the crying, screaming or flailing last only a few moments. The concern is when children cry or scream for long periods of time and can't be soothed or who withdraw for long periods. When that happens, it suggests that something more might be going on. Number three, resilience. Resilience is the ability to bounce back or recover from disappointment or failure. And it's a crucial component of mental health because we all experience disappointment and failure on a pretty regular basis. In order to learn, children have to take risks every day. And if they are ashamed or paralyzed by making a mistake, it'll be really hard to get up and try again, whether it's reading, swimming, or playing a musical instrument. Research shows that when parents and teachers praise children's efforts or strategies rather than their outcomes, children become more resilient and more persistent. So for instance, if a child is building a tower of blocks, commenting on their method or approach stimulates curiosity. Likewise, wondering why the tower fell, as opposed to commiserating that the tower fell, helps kids to feel engaged rather than give up. You don't tell them they're fabulous, you tell them they're tenacious. Number four, empathy. Empathy is the ability to imagine what someone else experiences. We often say to walk in someone else's shoes. Children as young as 10 months can sense distress in their family members and express concern. An infant might pat his mother on the head when she is ill or offers teddy bear to another child who's crying. As children develop, they express curiosity and interest in why people do things and what they think about. Some amount of empathy is inborn, but it can be further developed by observation and interest and active teaching on the part of adults. Children who have good awareness of their own feelings and motivations are way better at understanding the feelings and motivations of others. And children who are empathic have better relationships with others. Number five, activities. There are innumerable research studies which state that people who are mentally healthy enjoy activities beyond their work activities and personal responsibilities. In other words, they are able to play. 
it is pretty clear that activities like hobbies, sports, and music provide joy and quality of life. People who engage in activities purely for pleasure experience pleasure. And pleasure is very good for our mental health. For children, extracurricular activities provide important skills as well as confidence. They don't need to participate in a lot of activities, but they should be encouraged to participate in something. FYI, physical activity promotes mental health in children as well as adults. People who are physically active have less stress and feel better. Doctors are often reluctant to tell their patients this because they don't want to irritate them or seem to blame them, but it's still true. Children need to be physically active and so do their parents. Number six, conflict. Conflict is inevitable and the ability to cope with it is super important for mental health. Children fight. They fight with their sibs, they fight with their friends, they fight with their parents. And the sooner they learn to have conflict without fear or rage and have the tools to resolve conflict, the more confident they will be. Children who are outraged when others disagree with them or consumed by a need to retaliate have a tough time maintaining friendships. And children who are so fearful of conflict and back down or give in all the time to avoid it tend to feel unimportant and unworthy. Children just don't know how to deal with conflict. They need to be taught to consider others' points of view, to negotiate for what they want, and to apologize when they behave badly. People who can't tolerate stress and conflict wake up in the morning dreading any looming confrontations, whereas people who can wake up in the morning looking forward to an interesting day full of problems and conflicts to be resolved. It's a big skill. Number seven, self-esteem. Having self-esteem is another huge determinant of mental health. Self-esteem means that you have a pretty realistic assessment of yourself and all things considered, believe you're good enough. You're smart enough, nice enough, and attractive enough so that you can learn new things, make friends, and do generally what you want to do. Children who believe they are the most brilliant or most talented are crushed when they fail and tend to lie and cheat to maintain their self-image. Healthy self-esteem, real self-esteem, is inclusive and it's forgiving, which means you believe that you're smart, but you know that you sometimes make stupid mistakes, that you're generally decent and kind, but capable of being small and mean, that people like you, but sometimes they don't. Children with healthy self-esteem can acknowledge their faults, apologize when they're wrong, and accept help. Children with healthy self-esteem value themselves for a whole range of attributes, not just one. Identity is very important to self-esteem. Identity refers to the characteristics people believe make them who they are. For example, their race, culture, religion, or even role in the family or community. It's very hard for children to have self-esteem when they suffer racism or stigma as a result of who they are, even when they grow up in supportive families and communities, which is why we have to do so much better on all issues related to racism and diversity. Number eight, impulse control. 
Impulse control is simply the ability to control yourself, to pay attention and act in such a way that you don't harm yourself or other people. Obviously, small children have very little impulse control, but they do need some. They need not to bite their peers, and they need to look around before leaping on the stairs or the playground. As they get older, children need to be able to pay attention at school and not blurt out insults at their teachers and peers, and still later, to follow the rules of the road when driving a car. Impulse control is pretty essential to both physical and mental health. Number nine. And finally, being able to think rationally and be able to control your thoughts are foundational to mental health. People who are confused about what is real and what is not real have serious mental illness. At a less extreme level, there are people who have frequent negative thoughts such as, I'm no good, people don't like me, or everything is awful, which leads them to feel depressed. A lot of research has been done in the past few decades to understand the relationship between thoughts or cognitions and mood, and how to influence thinking in order to relieve depression. Not surprisingly, adults and children who blame themselves and catastrophize in the face of every mishap are more prone to depression than people who are generally optimistic and can move on after a setback. The good news is that children and adults can be taught to think in more positive, less catastrophic ways, to engage in less self-blame, and to problem-solve rather than perseverate. It is totally normal for young children to engage in all sorts of fanciful and irrational thinking, but at some point they have to be open to the suggestion that the moon is not going to crash through their bedroom window, the toilet is not going to swallow them up, and the monsters in the closet can be bribed to behave themselves. What I hope I have conveyed in this episode is that mental health involves the development of specific traits and skills which foster adaptation, self-esteem, and positive relationships. Children don't come out of the womb with mental health or mental illness. A shy child can learn to overcome her shyness, or at least compensate for her shyness. And a hyperactive child can learn skills to better settle and be more focused. Children prone to pessimistic thoughts can be taught to be more positive, more proactive, and more effective problem solvers. Anxious children can learn effective coping skills. Many children with learning disabilities do phenomenally well as adults because they've had to learn patience and develop a great work ethic to address their challenges. We can't change people's genes or ignore the consequences of trauma, abuse, or poverty, but we can help children to feel and function better by providing skills, tools, and support as part of basic education during the school years. Added to reading, writing, and arithmetic should be relationship building, resilience, and conflict resolution. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. There's a written piece on this topic on the CAPS website. Check it out. Please do subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues and friends. Episode two will be about play and its special role in child development and child therapy. Bye for now.